This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports Station. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Can't believe I lost that bid, Dave. Thought I had it. What'd you lose? Uh, the bid, the winning bid on the Kobe Bryant jersey. Where were we at? Well, it went for 5.849 and 700. I, I I was up there for 100. I guess that seems like, uh, you know, just so crazy to, to everybody pretty much, except for the top one-tenth of 1% maybe. But, I mean, if you have like a billion dollars, do, do you sit around and go, what, what should I do with my money? <laughs> How about get- help, you know, help people? Yeah. Number one, of course. You spent almost $6 million on a jersey. Yeah. Almost $6 million. I mean, that's that's multiple homes. That's mul- I, This is a jersey. And I'm not trying – this has not got nothing to do with Kobe Bryant, but my goodness. I don't care if that was Jordan's jersey or Kareem or LeBron, whoever. It's a jersey. Almost $6 million. Would you buy a oh. private plane? Uh, I, If I had that kind of just – I've got so much money, I don't even know what to buy. Yeah. Yeah. To do away with any inconvenience of an airport or any. the airport? Yes. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. That in the security line is probably the worst thing that you can do. Other than me waiting in the Bank of America line today. My goodness. Boy, the people in front of me had lots of banking. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been inside of a bank in. Years. You do everything on your phone or yeah, something. Yeah, huh? everything's online. You show me how to do that later? Yeah, it's in your. Just open up your Apple wallet. I'll show you. I'll show you how it works. <laughs> I don't trust the Apple wallet. But, yeah, uh, I mean, you, you got you got like a, a big house that's almost like a museum. You you want to decorate it. Kobe Bryant signed jersey, $5 million, $7 million, whatever. Let's go. Almost six. Yeah, that is nuts. But all right. Hey, uh, we made a big announcement to open the show today in case you guys are just tuning in. But uh, Seahawks GM John Schneider will be joining us every Thursday at 4 p.m. beginning next week. And that'll go all the way up to Thursday night of the NFL draft, which includes the very first night of the draft. He will be on with us. So how about that? John Schneider, who does very little in the way of media outside of the traditional things at the combine and you know here and there you were able to coerce him into coming on with us a few weeks ago which was awesome and everybody loved it and then uh, the wheeling and dealing started in light of that because all of the listeners said you guys got to bring him on more off tell him come on every week we're like well it's that's not necessarily how that works they got he's got a job and things to do and often probably doesn't want to be peppered with questions by us but we were able to make it happen, and uh, your relationship with with him and and Dave Pearson certainly uh, were big factors in getting this whole thing going. So, you know, glad glad we got the green light from the particulars out there. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. I think people have you know seen John around, and he's he's really a, a very down to earth guy, but he's just knows the history of the NFL, and you know, like I was saying earlier, I mentioned Alonzo Highsmith and um, and Scott Fitterer and. Was it Dan Dan Morgan? Mm-hmm. You know, they're all different places now, but uh, but they um, he, he's done a good job as far as developing his scouts and everything. So, and then you know, like we've seen over the last couple of years, or you go back to actually look at ten and eleven, the drafts that have followed seasons where they've had a below five hundred uh, number as far as their record goes have been really good. Yeah, 
Yeah, really it's good. But they've been also they've been good in between as well. It's just a little bit more difficult now. You got and this is a really big draft as you as you mentioned. This is this is an opportunity for the Seahawks to build a team that we could be talking about five years from now mm-hmm. about like we used to talk about the Legion of Boom and yeah. Marshawn Lynch and you know Russell Wilson and all that. So yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to to get get the inside word from him. Yeah, this is a perfect time of year. I mean, you know, heading into the draft, we're going to be watching, talking about the workouts, talking about the combine, talking about free agents that have been signed. How does that impact everybody's draft board? I mean, that stuff for me anyway, I think is fascinating. So this is the perfect time to have. Plus, we can, you know, keep it light, talk about movies, TV shows, characters we love. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was um, a hoax, right? <laughs> he he likes to, he likes the the Tommy boy. Uh, was Farley the uncomfortable interviewer? Remember when you you that time that you did that? That was the, the first time. <laughs> the first time uh, that uh, he came here, and I went. I got invited down to talk to his scouts, and he just wanted to know about the culture of uh, of the building, you know, and uh, the Seahawks and everything, and wanted some of the scouts to get to know, you know, some of the guys. I don't know why he invited me. I guess because I was around, and he kind of <laughs> liked me. But uh, I was after Warren Moon, and Warren Moon was down there talking about. And you know what, Warren Moon, and I spent like an hour in the parking lot um, after talking to Warren since it's Black History Month just about what he went through to get a job to be a quarterback mm-hmm. and, and get University of Washington to look at his film. Uh, he sent his own film out from the community college. He got a job as a janitor and then couldn't get in the NFL after being Rose Bowl MVP and all that goes to Canada. Then finally, you know, gets in. So he he told that whole story, which was just amazing like everybody was just locked in and it was you know it was a really like a story of toughness and perseverance it wasn't poor me or anything like that which that's why i admire warren so much Mm -hmm. but anyway when warren gets up there that was the first thing john was like warren do you remember when you went in the hall of fame that was awesome (laughs) and warren's like yes john did warren get it was he familiar with farley's bit (laughs) no i'm not sure that was awesome yeah (laughs) but i mean that that was it kind of you know lightened the mood and then you know the rest of it was uh was history and him telling that story and everything and i just couldn't believe it so out we we continued that that story uh out in the parking lot me and warren and it's, it's pretty amazing and if you ever you know want to look that up and just see all the details. One of the things he told me real quick, he said that there was a lot of black quarterbacks that didn't get jobs before him. And he said he saw what that did to them. You know, mm-hmm. and I think whether it was alcoholism or just bitterness and everything. And he's like, I just never wanted to be that guy no matter what. So just persevered yeah. through. And, you know, he had a community college coach that, you know, was not good to him, not because he was a racist, but it was because he didn't want to lose Warren. He didn't want to yeah. lose him. I mean, so he sends out his film and had the return label go back to his dorm, and then he put it back. That's mm. why he got a job to be a janitor. So anyway, just a pretty pretty awesome story. And this, this weekend you have two black quarterbacks that are playing uh, against each other, and uh, I know a lot of those guys would be would be very proud, but... Uh, just the story that Warren of perseverance was was pretty amazing. Uh, we start also to open the show outside of the John Schneider announcement was that you know the NFL honors are happening tonight, and in light of that, we were giving our predictions for some of those categories for you know awards being handed out across the league, and then our Seahawks version of those awards. Who on the Seahawks roster or coaching staff would we give these awards to? And we we cut it off. We didn't get to everything, so. Uh, 
we left off with Offensive Player of the Year. So the official finalists for this are Justin Jefferson, Patrick Mahomes, and Jalen Hurts. And for me, it was pretty easy. Patrick Mahomes threw for over 40 touchdowns, over 5,000 yards, and here he is in the Super Bowl once again. I mean, his his numbers are, are absurd. I just, for me, it was a fairly easy decision and not not to dismiss what, what Justin Jefferson did or what certainly what Jalen Hurts has done, more so on the ground with him. Uh, but, yeah, I, Patrick Mahomes, you look at the numbers and what he does, he, he just, he he's, he's in very unique talent, and it showed this year again. Yeah, and it's so hard to kind of compare him to anybody, right? Yeah. Who do you I mean, compare him to? Over 5,000 yards he threw for this year, man. He's, like, often compared to, uh, like, the old scrambling, like, um, why do I want to say, uh, Fran, Fran, Fran Tarkington, Tarkington, you know, guys like that. But I'm like, <laughs> Fran Tarkington couldn't hold his jock, yeah. you know? So, yeah, it's it's hard to find comparisons. Just for fun, Bob, I went with Jalen Hurts. I do like Jalen Hurts. I like what he says. I like his leadership. I like his toughness. And he ran for 760 yards and 13 touchdowns this year. Plus, you like that he made a joke about poop. The deuce thing? About poop. Well put. It was well put. He's right. You Warmed don't sit there hearts. and look at it. You flush it down. <laughs> so he's talking about a bad game. Some people, you know, can can understand that. Uh, but 3,700 yards passing, 22 touchdowns, 13 touchdowns rushing, I mentioned. Only six interceptions. Mm. So, you know, I think it's going to be a good battle between these two quarterbacks. And I really like his athletic ability. Jalen Hurts has made some of the more impressive scrambles. I feel like I'm sick of watching Kyler Murray scramble. I don't think he's that good. And, you know, remember he had a really good one against the Seahawks and then um, – and then Kobe Bryant, I think, or not, no, it was Ryan Neal, forced him to fumble, mm-hmm. you know, pop the ball out. But I think Jalen Hurts, I like the way he scrambles. I feel like, I don't know, Kyler Murray gets run down by D linemen sometimes, but Jalen Hurts is just magical when he starts to scramble. So those two guys, and, you know, he's looking to run. I feel like Mahomes is looking to find time so he can throw one of his weird little, you know, passes, yeah. whether it's behind his back or a hook shot like Kareem or whatever. He does everything, but I feel like his is to get more, you know, space and time, whereas Jalen Hurts is trying to get get yardage, and he does a good job with that. Uh, my Seahawks version of that offensive player of the year is Geno. I didn't give Geno the comeback player of the year because I think he should be the, what do we say again, the breakout or the uh, most improved. improved. Most improved, that's it. Yeah, that's what it should be. That category doesn't currently exist, uh, but it should because that's I think that's more accurate. Um, so, yeah, my my Seahawks offensive player of the year is without question Geno Smith. Yeah, well, okay. I Yeah, I think offensive uh, offensive player of the year yeah no question about it and i think that's the thing about uh, uh gino is a, a lot of people don't remember all of the decision making and things and times that he did run and he didn't get a ton of yardage but he's just accurate and he's good i don't i don't see anything about his game and a lot of people are going you're going to sign this guy for 3 years uh he's only done it for 1 year there was nothing that he did last year that i was like okay well that was because of the system I, we we praised the two offensive tackles, but they were still rookies. Mm-hmm. It was still rough. He threw under pressure a lot. Is he your pick? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. There's a yeah. different name on the sheet. Yeah, I, I changed my mind. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, I, was, I was waiting for all of the accolades you were, all the bouquets you were throwing at Gino, and then. Uh, but I you, went with you gave the. Uh, 
awards announcer the wrong envelope. <laughs> a little Moonlight La La Land situation. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, moving on to Defensive Player of the Year. Now the the finalists for the award that will be announced tonight are Chris Jones, Micah Parsons, and Nick Bosa. Um, this became a two man race for me. I love both both guys, Nick Bosa and Micah Parsons. Who there is, I really like Micah Parsons a lot. But Bosa led the league in sacks. He is he is just such a problem on a great defense. He's one of many great players. I get that there's help there. He's he's just such a difference maker. He really is. He he has such a massive impact on the game. So he just for me slightly slightly edges out Micah Parsons. But I to me they're interchangeable. They're both they're both difference. They're both extra meeting guys as you've talked about without question. And I'm envious of the Cowboys and the 49ers for having these players on their roster. Yeah, Bosa, I think, is is a good choice. But Micah Parsons is just so, I mean, he can play second level. He can play on the edge. You realize he, he has 26 and a half sacks in two years. And, you know, I haven't seen him miss a game. Uh, 2021, he missed one game. Mm-hmm. But 13 and then 13 and a half sacks, 150 uh, tackles, um, 34 tackles for loss, lots of 57 quarterback hits. I mean, I would love to have that guy. That guy would solve all of your problems. And I think he'd be an awesome 3-4 outside linebacker. Uh, I would love him. So Mike, Micah Parsons. And then you look at the things that he does off the field, and he's so fast. I mentioned this last year when he won that, that 40 where he beat Tyreek Hill. And then this year, watching him in that flag football game. And I know they don't have pads, so it's all relative. Everybody's running faster. But his his speed and how the way he tracks people on the field like he never gets overextended you don't see him making any ridiculous lunges or anything it's the path that he takes to to contact whether it's hitting a quarterback or a running back this guy is is just a gem uh as far as Seahawks defensive player of the year you and I are in agreement once again on who that is and this felt pretty easy i don't know that there was a lot of competition for this particular spot because it was a it was a tough year for the defense overall for the Seahawks but Tariq Woolen I mean who who was who was next who was who was the most obvious contender to him on the Seahawks roster I mean you had Jordan Brooks before he got hurt I thought played pretty solid Al Woods played pretty solid but Uchenna had had a decent numbers yeah he had good but Tariq good. was just to me he was a difference maker in in where they were going with the ball and what he did when they would go at him and things like that so I just yeah, Tariq Woolen is, in my opinion, the defensive player of the year for the Seahawks, and it wasn't really that close for me. Yeah, and then, you know, the other thing about him, I would say, is that, you know, everybody, and I've even said it, that he's still raw, but he still has, like, I would much rather have, and that's the thing about Sauce Gardner, he is the corner for the the Jets. It's kind of been the thorn in the side for, for Tariq Woolen, but he has, a, a, you know, he's very smooth, very polished, but Tariq still can do that and he played better i mean i'm sorry it's still the 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 picks are still the takeaways are everything and not only uh, you know not only did he and maybe one of the more spectacular plays his his pick six against uh, detroit and that that set the tone for the second half man that was the first play of the second half and then you know he also picked up another uh block kick and scored a touchdown so guy had two touchdowns and six interceptions or takeaways i'm sorry he didn't score another that was uh, michael jackson but he blocked the kick and michael jackson took off with it so yeah, this guy was it was pretty obvious. Kobe Bryant, I thought played really well. He did have four, five, six forced fumbles, 
which which was good. And you know, we talked to Lofa about the way he played. I mean, I thought he was possibly a candidate, but Tariq, yeah, he was the guy. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year. This is pretty easy for the both of us. Now, the three finalists for the award tonight: Brock Purdy, Garrett Wilson, and Ken Walker. So this is just a clean sweep for me and for you. He's this is boring here. Yeah, this is. I mean, we've been singing his praises all year. I keep getting into the numbers, saying he essentially did what he did in eleven games, even though technically he played fifteen. Uh, but Ken Walker is in. I think he's the. He should be the winner tonight, and he's also our Seahawks offensive rookie of the year. What do you want to bet he doesn't win? How could uh, he, I, well, first of all. For, I've been singing the praises of Brock Purdy in the story, but he didn't play a full year. He didn't play a half a year, so yeah. I don't. He can't win. You can't. That, that cheapens the award to me. If he if he wins, as much as I've been amazed and supportive of the story, he didn't even play half the season. You can't give him that award. No, I don't think so either. And if it does, I'll start to feel more like Paul Moyer. Yeah, that I'm not going <laughs> to like it until they have an award for me. Yeah, yeah. So we, we're uh, we're both Ken Walker for the award tonight and the Seahawks award. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're with the Jets, although you know they didn't go to the playoffs, they no. they were not good. But Garrett Wilson, you know, he he was actually and I, I saw he had a him, good season. I but... saw him interviewed. He had 1,100 yards, 83 catches. Only four touchdowns. I, I really, I really liked that kid. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can, you can beat the thousand fifty and what nine touchdowns for him. He meant to this team. Yeah, yeah. So you, he found the end zone five more times in fewer games, fewer opportunities. Right. So yeah, for me, it's it's Ken Walker. All right, so you go to uh, defensive rookie of the year. It's a three man race in the award tonight. Aiden Hutchinson, Sauce Gardner, of course, and Tariq Woolen. Uh, I've been saying this. I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm thinking of the three. The most impactful was Aiden Hutchinson. I think he lived up to the billing. I think he didn't play anything like a rookie. He was sack. He's coming up with sacks. He's coming up with forced fumbles. He's he's just he had interceptions. He had more interceptions than Sauce Gardner as a as a defensive lineman. So yeah, my my defensive rookie of the year is Aiden Hutchinson. Mine's Tariq Woolen. Still, I still think taking the ball away is is much better. And, and this is another boring one for me, Tariq Woolen, Tariq Woolen, because yeah, I mean, to, to get takeaways, that's one of the things. Like you look at a lot of players, like Jordan Brooks, you know, good good example. Like you start to get, I mean, he's been a solid player, but you start to get confidence when you are slowly building into becoming a pro, and then you'll take chances, and you'll take. You know, I talk about the the cost of doing business for like a lineman getting a jump, and every once in a while you're going to get. You know, you're going to get offsides. Every once in a while, you're going to get pass interference. But Tariq Woolen has figured it out. He's mm. figured out, like, what do I do next year? The jump for him is going to be so big. But the six takeaways, I mean, that's there's nothing. That's the, the most indicative stat by far. Turnover ratio, other than points, obviously. And, you know, I, I feel like the fact that he took the ball away six more times, than Hutchinson, uh, that that means everything. Now he did get sacks. Sacks are huge. Well, no, it'd be three more times because he had three interceptions. Hutchinson, yeah. how did, how many did Woolen have? Six, six right? Yeah. So yeah. he had it. He I took it he away had, three more times. You said, said six more times. I said twice as much. Didn't I? You said six more times. Yeah. But whatever. I know. Okay. Let's well, go. <laughs> it's like number seventy-five of Bob correcting me today. <laughs> but uh, yeah. In, anyway, it was yeah. It was six six takeaways. Uh, you know, to me that's just that's a huge deal. So yeah, I, I feel like uh, that that doesn't get 
for whatever reason, because of the Sauce Gardner thing, that that thing has kind of gotten taken away. Like people have gotten away from understanding what that means, taking the ball away. Yeah, and Sauce will probably win this. The guy with the yeah. least, the Get fewest, to it. the fewest takeaways, Sauce Gardner will win. And then moment of the year. Now this is in your wheelhouse because you remember random plays from random games in any season, and I just I don't retain it that way. So my moment of the year uh, for me was the Lions, who had we were told had nothing to play for, how unfair this was. They're unmotivated. They're out of the playoffs. They went to Lambeau Field and beat the Packers to send the Seahawks to the playoffs. That was my moment of the year. Did you have a – so that was your Seahawks and NFL moment of the year? Yeah, basically. yeah, because it, it encompassed both. It was, you know, we were told by so many people, oh, unfair, Lions are going to go out there and just go through the motions, there's yeah. nothing on the line. You and I were both of the – no, not with Dan Campbell. There's no part of us that believes that's going to be the case, and it certainly wasn't the case. Yeah, well, and so uh, I agree. That was an exciting. I know that my wife was most excited about that because she was screaming throughout the entire thing. We were <laughs> we were having a good time. But um, Ken Walker for me, as far as the the uh, and I'll leave the <laughs> the, the league wide one for for last. But Ken Walker's seventy four yard touchdown run against the Chargers. That was one during the broadcast where I made a noise. And I'm, I'm mm. sorry, Steve Rabel. I was like uh, the guy in Cincinnati. I was like, oh, yes, yes. I mean, he <laughs> that was the acceleration to get out there. Also on that play, Colby Parkinson had a really good block, and he's developed into a really good blocker. The offensive line running the ball, I thought that that was like the most meaningful play for them. You could also go with the pick six that um, – that Tariq Woolen had to start the half against the Lions. But my favorite play just overall was the the wild fumble return uh, that was a touchdown uh, against the Patriots for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders mm-hmm. where the running back goes. It, the game was tied, and then they went and did that. Like, they could have gone to overtime. Yeah. And so the running back goes up, and then he pitches it, and then he gets just the crap knocked out of him. Then the next guy runs back. He throws the ball. He gets the crap knocked out of him. And then it goes back and gets intercepted. And he off to the to the races goes um, – who was the uh, – I'm trying to remember the guy. Uh, Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones, just off the races. And then he just trucks the quarterback. And, you know, it was just the dumbest play ever. And the thing <laughs> is, watching watching Bill Belichick walk off the field after that, uh, I just – I thought that was hilarious because that was so not a Bill Belichick play. Yeah, I'm going to guess he didn't draw that one up. No. Like that. no. <laughs> it, that was very poorly executed if he did. All right, there you go. So the awards come up tonight at – Six o'clock, right? Six o'clock tonight. So we'll yep. see who walks away with the the hardware, so to speak. Meanwhile, Jerry Depoto has an answer for a key question we have about this Mariners lineup. We'll let you hear what he had to say. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Coming up at 5 o'clock, John Morosi will join us to talk some baseball. Stick around for that. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports Station on 710. Jerry DePoto on with Brock and Salk talking about a bunch of different things. Uh, got into Julio in the leadoff spot. Now, we talked to Mike Petriello about this the other day. We had him on and just talked about the problem with with that. It is not obviously not what uh, Julio has done. He excelled. He did very well as a leadoff hitter. And, and having that talent there is great. But... You worry about your best hitter 
power hitter who can drive in runs, not having guys on in front of him. And there are some that will say, well, it's just one time a game that he truly leads off. That's true. But the problem is, is later in the game, you, you hope that seven, eight, and nine can get on base at a regular clip to where when number one comes up, he's got runners on base and he can do some damage and drive runners in. Otherwise, the pitcher's not going to give him anything to hit. They can pitch around him. Maybe he finds his way to first, and he can still create a problem by stealing bases and all that. But if you're a pitcher, I'd rather walk him than give up a home run or give up a triple, double, what have you. So uh, the idea of, all right, yeah, it it's works for now, but you you want to get a leadoff hitter so you can move Julio down and, and uh, do more damage out there. Jerry was asked about that and asked how long he expects Julio to hit in that leadoff spot. Uh, for as long as he wants to. There's <laughs> a... You know, 17 years, if I had to, to plug one single number. But, I mean, truly, it's it, some of what we talked about moments ago about the, the, the way speed has a chance to, to change in the game or, or the implementation of speed on the bases in the years to come might shift us back, you know, toward what, uh, what leadoff hitters look like 25, 35, 40 years ago. But right now, leadoff hitters, oftentimes, they're just your best hitters. And, you know, get them the extra at bat, hit them at the top of the order. You know, who's our best guy at getting on base? Probably Julio. That's kind of interesting that that's changed over the years. Have you noticed that? The, the Moving away from the traditional leadoff hitter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess in some in, instances, certainly. In, I think a lot of it is just out of necessity. It's It's... You know, not as easy to find those, you know, that Ricky Henderson type or somebody like that who's just a, you know, an on-base threat, a stolen base threat, a guy who's going to make contact and, and and really be a problem up there. So, yeah, I mean, may, maybe it's shifting from that a bit, but I feel like it's just because they didn't have the answer. So we're, let's try this guy. Let's go with our best hitter, our best on-base guy, maybe your best power guy too in this instance. So I just I just feel like, it, it's not you're not getting as much out of him as you could, you know. He he can do a lot of damage. If now maybe the bottom of the order this year starts to come through, maybe maybe whoever seven eight and nine is, and we looked at that was that projected lineup. Where do we? Where was that from? Lefko? Uh That was ESPN's ESPN lineups. projected lineup. Yeah, they were ranking the way lineups. too early lineup. Yeah, yeah, the way too early. They were ranking all the lineups, and they did a one through nine. I think their seven eight and nine was Kielnick was Croft, nine. <laughs> yeah, Crawford was seven, eight was Pollock, and then nine was uh, Kelnick. Yeah. So there's potential there be- between all three of those. The most unproven is obviously Kelnick, and we'll we'll see what happens. But, you know, Pollock has been a very good player in the past. He had, he's coming off a, a really down year with the White Sox. JP coming off a down year, uh, but we've seen him play decidedly better, hit better. Uh, so it could be, you know, hey, if, the, if these guys, re- those two revert back somewhere close to what they've been, and Kelnick takes that step, to where he's not looked at as this automatic out, all right, then having Julio in the leadoff spot is not nearly as punitive as it would be otherwise. Yeah, well, and I think, wouldn't you, if you were, Gino, want to do damage, like you said, his OPS plus is 147, so, like, the average is 100. And so, (laughs) why, you know, I don't know, does he, that would be my question is, does he want to, it sounds like he wants to lead off. He likes leading off because Jerry said as long as he wants to. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious about that. But, you know, I don't know, Jerry, I'll take his word for it that that's kind of where teams are going uh, as far as just, you know, get your best hitter out there. But it does seem like a little bit of a waste. And I'm just curious if 
how much he likes it and, you know, if maybe if he's an older guy, he goes to him and says, hey, Skip, you know, I, I'd like to do some damage. How about if I can, you know, move? And I don't, I'm not sure if that even happens. I'm not sure if I've ever even asked that question. Does, you know, do, do hitters go to the skipper and say, hey, I, I'd like to be moved down or up or whatever? I'm sure there's some conversation about it. But as far as Gino, or I'm sorry, um, <laughs> Julio goes is, you know, he's still pretty young. Yeah. And so I, I don't know that he would go have that conversation. Uh, we had Mike Petriello on the other day and talked to him about this. And here's here's how he sees Julio in that leadoff spot. If he's going to lead off, so now you've guaranteed absolutely at least one time a game he comes up with the bases loaded because it's the start of the game. And then, yeah, if he's hitting after Crawford, Pollock, Kellenick, even Rally, right, who might hit number six, good power guy, but he's not a very good on-base guy. How many times are you having what we all would agree is your best hitter? And Julio Rodriguez coming up with the bases empty. I don't love that. But I'm with you. What are the other options? You know, Crawford's not a great option. Wong, maybe, but it's it's not great. I think what's going to happen here, so I'm looking at this right now, the Fangraph's projections for next year, just for the position players, not for the pitchers. They have the Mariners overall projected at, I think, 14th or 15th best in baseball, which I think would surprise Mariners fans. It's about league average. I might take the over on that a little bit, but not by a lot. And I don't think that's what everybody expected going into this, like, this is going to be our year to have an average or slightly better than average group of position players, which I think they do have. So not a, not a huge fan of, you know, seeing the the same problems. I mean, they're, they're fairly obvious. If the bottom of the order is great, then awesome. He's going to have some great opportunities and it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be hits. I mean, however they can get on base, I don't care if they're getting plunked, just get on base, just be on base when he steps up to the plate. And if that's, you know, I mean, you could have had Jesse Winker in the nine hole guy walked a lot, couldn't hit. But he walked a lot. If you can just find your way onto base, whether we're talking about Kelnick or he even went back to number six, looking at you know Cal Raleigh, or Raleigh as he calls him, uh, being in that in that spot. Yeah, good power, good power threats in there. But in terms of on base, not great. So but these guys step up. We could be singing a different tune, but just looking at it on paper right now, you go, wow. It just it feels like you're setting yourself really relying on all these other guys to step up their game to make him as a leadoff hitter be much more of a payoff. Yeah, and those would be the guys we'll be talking about. I mean, I think JP Crawford and Jared Kelnick, especially, of the guys that are going to be watched the the most closely to see if they can improve. And I think that there was some conversation at some point. I can't remember if it was Service or Jerry that Kelnick has gotten better at being willing to let pitches go mm-hmm. and, like you said, just get on base. And if he can just do that with Julio following, but hopefully uh, Jared Kelnick moves up the lineup. <laughs> you know, that's, and unless you want to leave it there, you know, if, if Julio's going to be following him, but that's something that him and JP were all looking to to hope that they have a good bounce back year. The other, the other thing I'm just, I'm just curious about with Julio is how he handles going into his second year. I mean, look, there's always an oper- a, a possibility that he doesn't have the kind of year that he had last year. And he's still very young. How does he handle all of the, the fame that he's starting to get now? How does he handle being a teammate? He's still, like I said, very young. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have the year that – or he gets moved around or something like that in the lineup. We'll, we'll see. But uh, hopefully – Hopefully he handles it well. I do worry about him Mm -hmm. just because of his youth and the fame that's been heaped upon him.
early, I think. Everybody's looking for, especially in a, a baseball town that's pretty desperate for these yeah. kinds of players. And and there's a full season under his belt that everybody can look at and review. Right, He came in as a rookie before and started out really slow and wasn't getting the calls from the guy behind the plate. And it's kind of a slow build. Pitchers didn't weren't familiar with him. It was his first year. So now, fast forward, he's the rookie of the year. He puts on the show in the home run derby. People are much more familiar with his swing. And, all right, we're going to bust him up and in or soft stuff low and away or whatever they think the key is, find the holes in his swing or where, where the shortcomings are and expose it and we're going to see how he adjusts now because you know they're going to adjust they're aware everybody's aware of julio now so we'll we'll see what kind of adjustments they make and then what's his counter to that all right coming up a friend of uh sean payton's doesn't think he actually wanted to go to denver we're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial coming up with wyman and bob this is seattle sports station on 710 Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. Terry Bradshaw was being interviewed on Radio Row a couple of days ago and kind of let slip. And I don't know if Sean Payton would have liked this, so we'll say he let it slip. That there are some quarterbacks that he thinks his good friend Sean Payton didn't really want to work with. And uh, we would talk and he would talk and talk and talk. And was a, I'd say, well, you can't go to Charlotte. That's the NFC South. Uh, you can't go to Houston. They don't have a quarterback down there. You don't want to be in Houston. Uh, where else could he have gone? Where, where, Arizona. Arizona, no. Nah, mm. nah, that quarterback. He didn't want to work with that yeah. quarterback. But he'd rather work with Russ? Uh, I don't think so. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know what? That's all he's got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got no choice. But I'll tell you one thing. Yeah. He'll get the most out of him. So he didn't want to work with... Kyler didn't really want to work with Russ, but I guess he considers Russ the lesser of two evils. I don't think he was desperate for taking a job in the NFL, was he? I mean, Sean Payton seemed seemed fine. I don't don't think that there's any way he would go. I mean, that would be the, the number one thing. I mean, him and the relationship that he had with Drew Brees was vital. It was it was what, you know, why they won so many games. So I don't, I, I don't know why he's just. I think he's just BSing that there. Um, but you know what? If that was truly who Russell was last year, from all the things that we saw and sort of heard, yeah, I mean, he does seem like kind of a kind of a nightmare. But I, but based on his history, which goes longer than just one year in Denver, and I, if that's the case, I would think that he would need some kind of proof. Sean Payton would that Russ has been humbled. With Kyler Murray, I just everything that I see and hear and everything, he seems like a nightmare to me. Yeah, and I think I think he hit the most important part. I don't think he needed a job. I don't think it was well. He had no choice. He certainly had a choice. He didn't have to take the Broncos' job, and he he goes into that situation knowing Russ isn't going anywhere. He doesn't really have a choice in that aspect. I mean, they're they're paying him a, a you know just a ridiculous amount of money, so he knows what he's getting into. I don't know if I buy that as much. Maybe it doesn't seem as appealing coming off that season, certainly, as it otherwise would. But the Kyler Murray part is much easier to believe. And, you know, Terry might just be talking and having fun. Or maybe there's some truth behind both of them. But, yeah, he knew what he was getting into with Russ. And he most certainly had a choice. Sweeping the dial. 
Okay, Jay Wright was asked by Brock and Salk about whether his stance has changed about how much he'd pay Geno Smith. Remember, he took a pretty tough uh, line on what he wouldn't pay Geno. Now it sounds like maybe he would uh, bump it up just a little bit more. Yep. Last last time I talked about Geno, I, I was kind of disrespectful. <laughs> I was disrespectful <laughs> in the number that I said. I said 20. I'm bumping it up to 25 <laughs> and with incentive, with incentive to get 30, <laughs> right? But I was looking at other guys. I believe Jamal Adams is around 18, if I'm not mistaken, 17. Yeah. So you can't, yeah, you can't pay your quarterback the same as your safety. You know, that's that's a whole other story. We'll we'll get to that another time. (laughs) So, um, no. Gino Gino did not say anything to me. I'm bumping that number up to 25 with incentive. So it still sounds like he's not entertaining 30. He's getting them closer with incentives. I still think he's being disrespectful. (laughs) I I would love somebody to disrespect me with a $25 million a year offer. I'd get over it quickly. But, yeah, it's... I, I think it feels like he's going to get more than that. We'll we'll all find out. But if not, if not if KJ is the GM, he's not. Yeah, his overreaction I think took everybody, including myself, uh, aback a little bit because you think you know the NFL, and but then when a guy comes in that just played last year, you tend to listen to him. Uh, but KJ was, yeah, he was a little tough on Gino, and I, I think he still is. I think it's going to be around the the mid thirties somewhere, but. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of interesting that he's. I expected him to say when I heard that cut, it was like, yeah, I was disrespectful. Now I'm thinking more like thirty, thirty-five. <laughs> he inched it up to, to twenty-five, which that's a five million a dollar raise. We all know it's a lot of money. I'm just saying that <laughs> based on what we're looking at, you've got to accept the reality of the situation. Sweeping the dial. Okay, you had to know we probably weren't getting anything earth-shattering here, but Patrick Mahomes today uh, was asked about his ankle, and he described how it's feeling. I always test the field a little bit, um, but definitely the last last game I tested out the ankle just a little bit extra just to see where I was at um, with the adrenaline pump and everything like that. Uh, this game, I don't know. We'll see when I get there, I guess, but uh, I feel like I'm in a good spot already, and uh, I'll just continue to build and try to get myself ready to go for the game. They get him after a double XL coffee, or what was going on there? Sounded hyped up, and the the voice was in full form. That voice, man, goodness! You know what if what if he uh, started singing and he had like an opera voice, yeah, very and, deep singing yeah. voice. <laughs> that is, that maybe, is yeah. maybe he really does have that. That's his hidden talent. What did Andy Reid say? He does does have a unique voice or something? When he was asked to do the impression, he said something about him. Well, he certainly has a unique voice, but. And it cuts through, cuts through the crowd noise, and you hear it. I mean, there. <laughs> Andy guess... Reid has the best impression of my voice. Um, he doesn't do it in front of a lot of people, thanks, thankfully. But Andy Reid for sure has the best impression of my voice. Yeah, you gotta let the voice crack just a little bit. But he's got a one. You know, that's a unique voice he has. Very <laughs> I know what the next question is. Am I gonna do it? I'm not doing it. But uh, you know, I, I appreciate you. Appreciate. I'm good, but not that good. <laughs> I love how he anticipates that. Yeah. I know what the next question because I, when you hear that, you're like, "Oh yeah, please do it." No, it's not going to do it. But that, <laughs> I think Andy Reid is one of the most lovable characters in this entire Super Bowl, players and coaches. Yeah, we were just talking. Did we talk about that on air or off air? Talking about the biggest stars involved in this game. We talked on off air. Yeah, and maybe we'll get into that later or tomorrow or something. But yeah, I think it's interesting because I think you brought up. I mean, Sirianni, am I even saying his name right? Sirianni. Like, whatever. Sirianni. <laughs> I mean, he's he's probably 
you know, near the bottom. Like people might know the kicker or the punter or whatever, but you know, like I said, I thought I thought he did a really good job this year. But yeah, Andy Reid's up there ahead of a lot of players. Off yeah. the top of my head, I'm going to go Patrick Mahone's probably number one. The Kelsey brothers, somewhere in there. Yeah, na- nationally, I would say it's Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid. Those three are the biggest stars, most most recognizable yeah. faces involved in this game nationally. And obviously those ad campaigns have a ton to do with it. You know, the, yeah. him drawing mustaches on people's faces and Mahomes got a bunch of commercials and all that. Kelsey's a very visual guy, obviously, so... I don't know. I, I just think that all three of those guys are more visible or more recognizable than in anybody on the Eagles team. Yeah, absolutely. Not sure if that'll equate to a win or not, but the, just in terms of national national visibility, they've got that on their side. All right, plenty of baseball news to talk about, and John Morosi will join us to break it all down next. This is Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports Station on 710.